Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'll let everybody have a minute to... Um, <laughs> we're so happy that you're here with us this morning. Um, welcome to those joining us online. We're so happy you're here as well. In Vineyard fashion, say good morning to your neighbor this morning. Neighbors? I won't make you yell across the room, but you guys know each other, so that's okay. Um, so we're going to get started this morning with some worship through our music, and then we're going to have some worship through the Word. So I'm going to pray over us, and then we're going to get started. God, we are um, always so thankful to be in your presence and to be in our community. And um, we just say, come Holy Spirit in this space, and let us feel what you're doing, how you're moving, um, and just feel your presence this morning. And I pray this over all of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So wherever you feel comfortable to worship, you can worship, and we're going to get started.
weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. And when the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Because the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. No, my God will never fail. And I'm going to see a victory.
take what the enemy meant for evil, you turn it for good, you turn it for good, and you take what the enemy meant for evil, you turn it for good, you turn it for So we did this song last night at our worship night, and um, it was so cool to look over who was here and understand the victories that had been achieved in the lives of people, God's victories in the lives of people that were there. Um, We had people there who had been victorious over cancer. Um, We had people there who had been victorious over a, a numerous number of things, and I think it was fitting for this time when we're talking about spiritual warfare to remember that, um, the enemy thinks that he has a hold and he thinks that he's powerful and he thinks that he's big and strong but God says wait I'm bigger and I'm stronger and I will be victorious over the situation so I pray that over all of us this morning um, whatever you feel you had victory over or you feel like you need victory over the battle belongs to Jesus and he is a victorious God amen amen the chorus together one more time. And I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Good morning, Vineyard. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so excited you are here with us in person or somewhere along the internet trail. We're glad you're here, so welcome. Great worship. Thank you, worship team, as always. Awesome. We will also be on YouTube and Facebook, so if you need to check us out later, you can go there if you want to see it again. Uh, Pastor Brent is doing a great new sermon series on spiritual warfare. The message today is the strategies of darkness. 
So we want to hear what Brent has to say about that, and it is found in Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. So grab a Bible or your phone and check out the text. New to the vineyard, thank you for being here. We're going to have a meet and greet uh, after the service, so we're excited that you're here. If you just go out the back and right into the fellowship hall is right where the meet and greet will be. You can meet the pastors and learn some more about this awesome church, the vineyard. Popcorn, you can do it now. Back in the back, there is a popcorn fundraiser for the uh, food pantry for the food center so get uh some popcorn it's 15 dollars a bag lots of great great different flavors so come and support uh, our food resource center with popcorn until may 7th so again get yours in the lobby after the service our spring cleaning day is coming up next saturday so please sign up it's april 29th Plan to come for a little while or a lot of while. Um, again, the sign-up sheet is back in the lobby. It is from 9 to 3. Don't forget your offering today. And again, a reminder, uh, we have lots of things that we need to help keep up the building. So if you can give a little extra to support our building fund, we'd appreciate that also. And with that, we thank you. And God bless. And Pastor Brent will be up. And so turn, I didn't even know what that was. I was like, I knew what it was. It was up here because I've done it before. And then they're like, yeah, you got one down there too on your hip. And I'm like, really? I thought I had replaced all the parts of my body that needed to be replaced by now. Um, so anyway, may, I'm hoping to be able to stand, but if I can't, I'll sit. Which is kind of ironic because the emphasis of the whole passage I'm preaching on today is on standing. So that's kind of fitting, isn't it? kind of in that spiritual battle, which is kind of fitting too, because it's kind of like, oh, what better way to uh, attack somebody who's preaching on standing than making them sit? So, but if I have to, that's okay, because that doesn't mean, if that's really the worst Satan can do, it's kind of like, eh. you know, I mean, it does hurt though. Um, it doesn't hurt when I walk. It doesn't hurt when I ride motorcycle. So, I also feel kind of um, vulnerable up here, because usually... I come in and I, I generally, most of you know, I ride motorcycle. And a motorcycle, I actually wear all this different gear. Have you ever noticed that? No? Yes. I, I have this gear, and the gear is there for a very specific reason. And they have, they have armor and padding and Kevlar in very specific places. In fact, Teresa and I both got to find out what places and why they put those things in those places about four years ago, five years ago, when... Um, a young man in a 67 Mustang. Oh, 
usually, normally, I'd feel really bad about wrecking a 67 Mustang, but when they drive into you, kind of don't feel as bad about wrecking them. You know, the guy, the guy was fine. But um, anyway, he turned into us from, um, we were on Lake Shore, we were driving down, and he, he made a right turn from the left lane and, and um, <laughs> didn't see us. Although, like the policeman said, his stereo was so loud we could hear it like three miles away. How did you not know he was there? Um, anyway, <laughs> so, it was like, uh, but it was kind of interesting because everywhere on, on the armor, now I didn't bring it this week, next week I will because we're talking about it again, but everywhere that they put like these special things, I always wondered why they had them, like they have these big knuckle things on them, on the gloves, and they have these big things on the sides of your ankles, and then they have pads in certain places. Every place that one of those things was got sheared off. And I thought, if I didn't have that on, guess what would have got sheared off? My knuckles, my, I don't know what they call it on your, on your ankle, like the knuckle on your ankle, that round thing there. What? Labrum? No, nah, it's on your hip, Pat. You can't, Pat's just going to sit there and say labrum all day now. It doesn't count. Um, labrum. <laughs> if you have to go to the doctor, don't go to Pat, Okay. I can't see, doctor. I think it's your labrum. I'm not sure. <clears throat> Probably is. Um, anyway. <laughs> All right. So, um, we, you know, we're talking about spiritual battle and spiritual warfare. And, it, and to be honest, it's kind of fun to laugh about it because it's not a laughing matter. It's very serious. And it's very real. And you discover it's real when you start walking with God. We live in a society which is really interesting that has kind of, there's a, I'll get into um, uh, uh, some quotes from a guy named Anthony Demblanco who wrote a book called The Death of Satan. And he's an, I think he's an agnostic or an atheist or something. But he's realized that we have completely decategorized, we've taken the idea that there is a devil or personal evil out of our equations of things. And so we look at everything in our world right now as as happening because of behavioral things or sociological change things or structural things. And those are all true. Things are often physical, behavioral, sociological. But we have left out, and it's kind of funny, because most of the world hasn't left us out, but we have. If you go almost any place else, they believe that there are dark spirits and powers and principalities at work. But here, somehow we think, well, then, no, that's just foolishness. Who would think that? In fact, one, one writer said, and I'll get to this in a little bit. But he said that you can tell um, whether or not a church believes in, in Satan and demons and stuff like that sometimes just by the kind of cars that you see in the parking lot. If you see like a lot of kind of more what we would consider elitist cars, like people who drive BMWs like me. Um, I drive old BMWs, people. I got one for, I got one for really cheap the other day. I'm going to probably fix it up and sell it or something. But anyway, I get them really cheap. But anyway, he said that, you know, it's interesting because sometimes the higher educated a person becomes, and I'm not anti-education, I think it's great, but sometimes the less they begin to believe that there's actually um, a, a personalized evil. And they might believe in systemic evil, but kind of gotten away from this idea of a devil, of, you know, a personalized devil. Now, Jesus didn't seem to have a problem with that, Right? The devil sent him into the desert. Remember that whole thing? And tempted him. And the devil entered 
uh, Judas and da 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 and Jesus. The first time Jesus preaches, he he encounters uh, somebody in church who has a demon, right? I mean, that's the first time, one of the first time he preaches in the synagogue. There's a man with a demon going, you know, and Jesus casts it out. Why is that? Because we live in a world where there's a cosmic conflict going on. The kingdom of God, there's, there's the kingdom of God versus the, the prince of the power of the air, as, as one of, some of the um, writers in the Bible call it, the princes of the power of the air, which would be Satan, demons, stuff like that. And there's this kind of imagery in scripture that, since the fall of humanity, that the world has been under the shroud of darkness. In fact, um, C.S. Lewis wrote a, a, a space trilogy called the Space Trilogy. I guess I don't know. I don't know what it was called. <laughs> I don't remember what it was called. But anyway, in in one of the books, one of the first books was called Out of the Silent Planet, and they were. In, in, in the planets and the stars and stuff, each planet and star in, in the book were assigned an angel. That they, you know, they, they call them Eladil or something, but they were assigned over each planet. And the Eladil that was supposed to be overseeing our planet was silent. He'd gone dark. And they called our planet the silent planet. And part of that was because the... the <laughs> The one who possibly was supposed to be looking out for this place had had turned to the dark side. Had, you know, it just basically had gone dark. And so, in our in our world, a lot of if you know, I'm going to pray that that we would be able to really understand this message because I think it can help a lot of you. And my goal here is to help you begin to realize and begin to be more discerning about whether or not something is physical, emotional, spiritual. Or spiritual or sociological, because there's, there's a spiritual element to things sometimes that we need to acknowledge. And if we don't, we're s- stupid, I guess. I don't know. Um, can I say stupid in church? My, nep- my nephews, when I was really young, I was at their house one day, and, and, and I, I didn't know stupid was a bad word. And so I'm like, we were eating breakfast or something, and they were talking about something. And I said, well, that's really stupid. And there were four of them. They all stopped and they go, Uncle, Uncle Brent, that's a naughty word. I was like, sorry. It was stupid of me to say that. Um, anyway, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, just bless this. I was going to say bless this food. Just bless our time together and bless this talk. And may your power and presence be here as as we learn about, I don't really want to glorify evil today, Lord. We want to glorify you, but we want to be aware of the schemes because you, you, you even warned us. You said, "Beware, your enemy is 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 wandering around like a roaring lion." I think Peter said that, waiting for somebody to devour. And we don't want to be devoured. We want to be yours, and we want to walk through this thing. And like Paul says, and when everything is finished, we want to be able to stand. Amen. And so, let me start out with a quote. There's a quote by um, Anthony Del Blanco, in, and again, in his book, he wrote a book called The Death of Satan. And, and again, he was a, a writer, sociologist. He doesn't really believe in God or Satan, but he just believes that, that we don't have the bandwidth anymore to talk about some of the evil that's in our world. When we throw Satan out, and we throw the, a personalized evil, supernatural evil out, somehow we... <laughs> We don't have language to explain some of the stuff that goes on in our world, do we? Some of the evil that we see. 
He says, we live in the most brutal century in human history. But instead of stepping forward to take the credit, the devil has rendered himself invisible. The very notion of evil seems incompatible with modern life, from which the ideas of transgressions and accountable self are fast receding. Yet despite the loss of old words and moral concepts, Satan, sin, and evil, we cannot do without some conceptual means for thinking about the universe, the universal human experience of cruelty and pain. My driving motive in writing this book, the book um, The Death of Satan, has been the conviction that if evil, with all its insidious complexities, escapes the reach of our imagination, it will have established dominion over us all. And so we're talking about spiritual warfare today. And Paul gives us some really simple passages. We're going to look, this is in Ephesians 6, and it's the end, the end of Ephesians, Ephesians, and it's when Paul's wrapping everything up from Ephesians, and he's, he's including everything he's already written in Ephesians. In fact, I listened last night to the, just the whole book of Ephesians. You know, you can do that. It takes about 12 minutes or something. I don't know. You can even turn it on fast on some of them. You know, if you want to listen, if you're really impatient, you can turn it so they talk faster, so it sounds like the chipmunks are preaching to you. Um, so, um, and and again, we're 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 dealing with what we're dealing with here is a, is a clash of kingdoms. When Jesus came, and even in the Old Testament, when God would send prophets, when God would send actually even sending Israel out, we're seeing of a clashing of kingdoms. When the Exodus happens, and God sends Moses to Egypt, there's a clashing of kingdoms, right? We don't get this, but the plagues that, that, um, that God sent upon Egypt were actually battles against the gods of Egypt. What did Egypt worship? Frogs. So what does God do? Oh, you want to worship frogs? Okay, I'll give you frogs. He gave them tons of frogs. They worship, they worship the sun. What does God do? He makes it dark. You know, they worship their firstborn. They see their firstborn as gods, as divine. God takes their firstborn. Over and over again, over again, every one of the plagues corresponds to a God. There's a battle going on. And there's a battle going on in the New Testament. When Jesus is first born, one of the first things that happens is Herod finds out, and he's jealous, and he tries to kill him. And, him. and Jesus' parents have to take Jesus to Egypt. He has to flee, and he has to become a refugee. There's a battle going on. And when Jesus first comes in, his first words... Or this, after John was, this is in Matthew um, 4, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God. What is a kingdom? It's a realm. It's a power. It's, it's the kingdom of God is moving in. There's a new sheriff in town. And you better watch out. And you better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Because Jesus is coming to town. Um, it's bad theology, but my wife's going. My wife's going. What did you take this morning? Um, <laughs> nothing. Um, <laughs> all right. So anyway, standing in in the face of the uh, the enemy's schemes, and th- and that's what Paul talks about in this passage. He says that the enemy has schemes. He has plans. We, we used to say, it was kind of funny, it, early on in, in the early 
Jesus days, the Jesus people days. If you've ever saw Jesus Revolution, it kind of explains what Jesus people days were. That's kind of how I came in. I came into Jesus during that time. And one of the things that we would tell people is, is that, hey, there is a God, and this God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, the opposite's true, too. Hey, there is a de- and they sh- we should have told people that, too, that then. Hey, there is a devil. And he's really nasty, and he has a horrible plan for your life. <laughs> and, so, um, and that's just the reality. And so we're going to talk about standing in the face of the enemy's schemes. Rich Nathan writes this, The Bible regularly asserts that there is a supernatural evil force in the world, something that goes beyond human frailty and human sin, stupidity or ignorance. There is, in addition to all of these things, something much darker, much more sinister, something truly evil, a power that hates seeing people succeed or flourish, a power that hates children, teens, elderly, men and women. Of course, the existence of a supernatural dark power, someone Jesus personalizes and calls Satan, is viewed as absurd in most elite circles today. Imagine you asserted the reality of Satan and demons at your workplace or in your classroom. You might get a reaction like, oh, come on. You can't be serious. You mean the cute little red guy with the pitchfork and the long tail? I think people stopped believing in Satan about the same time we discovered that the earth wasn't flat and the sun was the center of the solar system. How can anyone believe in Satan during the age of the Internet? And then Richner goes on and he says, By the way, of course... One way, of course, would actually be to learn what's actually happening on the Internet, the cyberbullying, the trolling, the dark sites. I became convinced of the reality of, the super, of supernatural evil after law school when I handled the victims' crime cases for the state for about a year and a half. For a year and a half, I read through hundreds of files from around the state of victims of violent crimes, people in the state of Ohio who had been brutalized by other Ohioans, people who had been tortured, children who had been burned, girlfriends who had been beaten, folks who had been shot and stabbed. I spent my days as an attorney working for victims of crime reparation, funding criminal cases filed by victims or their families, often with colored photos attached. You can't do that kind of work day and night without quickly realizing there's something beyond psychiatric conditions and human pathologies, something that in the past would have been called pure evil that would cause an adult to do something like that to a child. There's a war going on, a war between good and evil, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom ruled by Satan. And whether you like it or not, and whether you want to be a conscientious objector or a non-combatant or somebody who is agnostic about the war, and says, I don't know if there's any real war going on or not. There is a war going on, and the followers of Christ the King have been drafted to fight on behalf of Christ's great rightful rule. And you discover this really quick when you begin entering into God's kingdom. Sometimes the things are just seem simple. Have you ever tried to go, even tried to come and like help at the food pantry? Do you realize how many things you think of, reasons not to come, or like a worship night last night? Do you realize how many obstructions happen? It, one, one of the things that happens often when people preach up here, when they start the first time they preach, they'll call me up usually about Thursday or Friday and go, I don't know if I can do this. Everything's going wrong. 
I'm sick. My arm fell off. My, my wife left me and my dog got shot and my pickup truck got a flat tire. So I'm either going to start writing country songs or I don't know what else to do. So, um, but that's really, it's serious. I'm, I'm, not be, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. You get the snot kicked out of you when you go to do something like this. Even when you go to do worship, you get the snot kicked out of you. You just do. Does that mean we don't do it? No. It means we press through. We press through, but we recognize we're not on the love boat, people. We're, 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 we're in a battle. John Wimber used to use that illustration all the time. He'd say, you know, people they become Christians and they think they're sitting on the love boat and all of a sudden there's bullets flying. They go, what the heck? What's, what the heck is this, man? It's like, what is this? Andrew Del Blanco in The Death of Satan said, It is the policy of the devil, remarked one Englishman before, the years before the um, first American settlements, to persuade us that there is no devil. Not a bad policy if you're the devil. Hide in plain sight. So, how do we stand? How do we stand against the devil's schemes? We're not called to live in fear. We're not called to live in despair. And one of the first points I want to make that <laughs> I think is, is critical to understanding this whole thing is that literally the spiritual battle, the war, for the, the, the war was won already kind of a weird war that we're fighting. It's a war that was already won. When Jesus died on the cross and said it is finished, and then when he rose from the dead, and he said, go and make disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples, it was finished. I mean, he won. Jesus won. There's no, like John Wimbrows used to say, Hey, I read the end of the book. And guess what? God wins. You know? He does. But that doesn't mean there's not still a battle going on. Uh, a good way to picture it, according to one person, is this. Just recall the Battle of the Bulge, which many of us struggle with all the time. I'm struggling with it this morning. One of the nice things about wearing a hip brace is that kind of helps the Battle of the Bulge. It pushes up a little bit further. I still don't look like Arnold. Well, I kind of do look like Arnold now. But anyway... The forces of Adolf Hitler had been de- decisively defeated on D-Day. They, we had beaten, basically when D-Day happened, when we invaded Normandy, when we did that, almost all historians believe that was the ultimate victory. Of the, that was the end of the war, for all practical purposes, in terms of won and loss. But their final defeat seemed imminent, but then Hitler launched a counteroffensive. He fiercely attacked the enemy lines and managed to push through in a big way. The battle, the battle lines resembled a big bulge, thus the Battle of the Bulge. For a while it looked as though Hitler might succeed, but the Allies finally stiffened their defense, the line held, they stood firm, and the evil of the Third Reich was defeated. We're engaged in the devil's Battle of the Bulge. He can't win, though it often looks like he is, in the face of fierce opposition and apparent defeat, we must stand firm. And like somebody said, more people died 
between D-Day and V-Day than died previous to that. D-Day had already happened, which means the war was already the war's already been won when Jesus was raised from the dead and then began ascending at the Father's hands. It was it was finished. And Satan had, had Satan had thrown the best he could. I mean, that was his best. He killed the Son of God. He killed his greatest enemy. And even in, in doing his worst came God's best. He, he didn't stand a chance. And there's this such beautiful, maybe if I get a chance a little bit, I'll read, read about this. Um, let me read it now. It's from Colossians, and it's always been an encouraging passage to me. It says, when we were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. You know that when you receive Jesus, God makes you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, past, present, future. How many sins did God forgive you for? How many of you came in here today feeling kind of condemned and a little bit bad about yourself? How many sins did God forgive you of? Oh. Like John Wimber used to say, I looked up the Greek word for all. And guess what it means? All. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. I'm going to bring this to my to my bank next week <laughs> and show it to him and go, you know, that, you know that home equity loan that we still owe some money on? It's been paid. It may not work that way. But the reality is, it does work spiritually. Next time Satan comes and starts beating the crap out of you because of something you did or said or whatever, because of how you feel about yourself, Take, show, him that, show him the bill. Go, hey, wait a second. It says here, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. See, Satan? He doesn't like that. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And he's using their uh, kind of a Roman picture when Rome would go and capture a country. They would make the, the people that were captured, the kings and all the warriors, march behind with chains around their, their hands and feet as, as all the soldiers and the king that won the battle walked before. And he's giving us an image of, of Satan being made a public spectacle of when Jesus rose from the dead. So the source of our strength, how do, how do we stand? How do we do this? How do we stand? First of all, and I didn't put this in here, but we need, we need to stand together. One of the great lies of the enemy is that we're the only ones that are going through this. We're the only ones that think this way. We're the only ones. And we're, we live in a culture, we so try and do this all by ourselves. People, quit trying to do it by yourself. 
Like, like one of my friends said once, who made you stupid, you know? Don't, 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 try, and, don't try and battle the, the temptations that you're struggling with by yourself. Don't try and sh- struggle with the sexual addictions that, that you're wrestling with by yourself. Don't, don't deal with that depression by yourself. Don't deal with that sickness by yourself. Don't do it. That's why we have small groups. That's why we have time for prayer at the end of services. That's why we do all this stuff. Because there's some, nothing more powerful than, than having other people join you in that, in that struggle. I, over the years, I've gotten better at sharing with, with the staff, with Jim and Denise and Teresa and Scott and Lori and, and you know, Kaylee and Zane and, and a bunch of others of you. Just sharing with you some of the struggles that are going on. You know, when we're going through financial hard times, we did a, you know, it's been a little bit of a tighter time financially for us as a church. You know, and I used to carry that all by myself. Feeling like it's my responsibility to get this thing fixed, and it's like no. Over time, I've realized no. You know what? It's not. It's it's ours. That's ours. So, and this isn't one of my things, but just please don't do that by yourself. Make a commitment today to to, to talk to somebody, to go to a group. One of the reasons I do the man cave is because Pat Needers comes, and we get to make fun of him, and so that's <laughs> one of the big reasons. But um. But it's it's a great time too sometimes for us guys to get together and just talk about stuff, you know, just in between shots and stuff, you know, like, hey, he made the shot. Oh, by the way, I'm I, I'm 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 having my arm amputated. Could you pray for me? Like, okay, can you wait until the next halftime though? Um, just kidding. But uh, you know, there's a reality in that. But the first is the source of our strength. Finally, be strong. In, uh, let me read the passage. I never read the passage. <laughs> Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the days of evil come, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Father, bless these words and bless just as I um, begin finishing up this word today. Bless it. Amen. First thing we do is, is that, that we don't try and... God isn't calling us to somehow draw on this wealth of strength from within ourselves. He says, finally, be strong in who? In the Lord. And in, the, in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Put on his strength. Be strong in him. One of the wonderful things that I learned in recovery and in, in, in 12 steps is that, you know, first of all, you know, that there's, uh, that, that I was powerless over something. I was powerless over alcohol and drugs and that my life had become unmanageable. And secondly, that there was a power greater than myself that could restore me to sanity and that when I turned my life and my will over to that power and for me that that became Jesus and his kingdom and the Holy Spirit, he began renewing my life. And so the first first thing is be strong in the Lord. Be strong in, in the Lord. Let him strengthen you. Don't try and bully up with this thing. I'm just going to, 
you know, this isn't like I'm going to march against Jesus and we're going to take him. I'm like, no, I'm not. But God, God has enough power to take care of him. In the name of Jesus, you have to go. Not in my name. But we, we stand in God's strength and we stand in it together. And we put on, um, on God's full armor. And we'll talk about that more next week. But we put on this thing. You know, it's really funny when, when people think, people see me sometimes in all this gear, this motorcycle gear, and they think, man, that's really uncomfortable. You know what? It's not. Have you ever used one of those weight blankets? They're like this thing that comforts you and kind of wraps you. In. When I put when I put my motorcycle stuff on, it feels like being hugged by like ten thousand huggy things. You know, it just feels really it feels really comfortable. It seriously it does. And even though it's God's armor, I think He fits it to us. And I think when we're surrounded by God's grace and His presence, there's a comfort there in in having His protection. You know, and we need it. We need his protection. We need him to protect us. <laughs> Many moons ago, we had gone through some really hard times in the church, and, it, and I didn't even realize it, but there was, it, you know, it's one of the things Paul talked about in a little bit is, you know, have a shield of faith for the fiery darts of the enemy and um, that they don't poison you. And, and I didn't even realize it, but Rich Nathan was praying for me, and he said, I feel like there's a couple fiery darts in you that have been just spoken or done to you that have just been they're lodged in there and they're causing a lot of poison in your body in you and he said I want to pray that God would remove those and there wasn't like a physical dart there but there it was every bit as powerful and it was drying me up and he prayed for me and it was like it was like taking snake venom out of somebody I just was like oh my gosh that was amazing do that again. <laughs> I want to feel that. But there, there's a reality to that. So, so the source of our strength is God. It's His power. Um, it's, there's, there's a really funny, pa- there's, there's a bunch of cool passages about this. One of them um, is in Psalm 27. The Lord is, is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? That's the Psalm of David, Psalm 27. When David is, has to face Goliath, it's kind of funny. David is supposed to be facing Goliath, Goliath this big giant, because nobody else would. And at first they try and give him Saul's armor, and Saul's armor is really big, and he feels goofy in it. You know, It's like wearing your dad's shoes when you're six or something that doesn't fit. But then David's like, like, you know what, this is what I'm comfortable with, this sling thing. And so he goes and he does it, and, and people are not like, aren't you afraid? And he said, no. Because God's with me, and God gives me strength. There's another passage that's um, this is really cool with this guy named Gideon, who becomes one of Israel's great deliverers. And Gideon lives in this amazing amount of fear and terror. He doesn't. He is the last person you would think of to lead Israel out of captivity. They're in captivity. They've done what God said they shouldn't do, and he's literally threshing grain in a wine press. He's hiding trying to thresh a little grain because he's so terrified of, of the enemy coming. And it says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak tree of, of Ophrah. Ophrah was around back then too. And Ophrah said, Look under the chair, Gideon. And the, You guys don't get it. Anyway. Did you, did you guys ever watch Oprah? It's like, like, 
<laughs> How many of you know what I'm talking about? No, we like 10 people. Anyway, Oprah used to put like, like a car under the chair or something, you know, and if you went to her show, you'd all get a car or whatever. Anyway, forget it. It was just bad. Okay, then we on to jo- jo- Joash of um, uh, the Aberzite, where his son where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep, to keep it from the Midianites. The Midianites had taken him on over. And an angel of the, poured to, uh, the Lord appears to him, to Gideon, and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's going, Where? There's a mighty warrior around here? <laughs> I better get out. But you know what? Well, God took this person who was filled with fear, who was filled with terror, who never thought they could do anything, who thought they were completely unable. And he took that person, and that might be you. There are so many people here who feel like we discount ourselves because we feel like, I'm not strong enough, I'm not good enough, I'm, and, and doggone it, people don't like me. You know, they do the reverse of uh, Stuart Smalley. Um, you don't know who that is either, but never mind. Um, anyway, they do the reverse of that, and we think, well, I'm not capable and you know who God chooses so often in scriptures? He chooses, he chooses people who are exactly not the people that we would expect him to choose. And he chooses this guy who's named Gideon, who's a chicken, who's terrified. And he says, I'm going to choose him because guess what? When, when, when the Midianites are driven out of the land, people are going to look at Gideon and go, well, this didn't happen because of him. You know, this is, there must be a God. God is glorified in our weakness. When I am weak, then he is strong. And we think we have to be strong, and there's this kind of teaching like we're the mighty men and mighty women of God. No, we're not. I mean, we are in a sense that that God makes us strong, and God gives us the ability to do it. I don't know how many times I've gone to do something that I feel completely unable and incapable of doing. And God gives us the strength, the Lord is our strength. Several years ago, I had to go do one of the worst things I've ever had to do. I, I get a call at like 3 in the morning, and all I can hear is, Elijah's dead, Elijah's dead. And I was like, the only Elijah we had was a seven little, seven-year-old little boy in our church. I was like, no, no. And I'd already been having a weird feeling that week. And it was one of my friends, and she said, there, uh, Brian Rosario that was their son. He was a little seven-year-old. He was our greeter in our church. Anybody who ever came into the church, first person they met was Elijah. And he would ask you, when you came in, he's seven years old. If you came in this church, he would come up to you and go, Hi, my name's Elijah. We're really glad you're at the church. Do you know Jesus? You know, he literally would do that. He was awesome, just a sweet kid. We get a call. I get a call. He's dead. And I'm driving over there, and I'm like, Lord, I can't, I don't, how am I going to deal with this? This is a friend of mine, and it's, you know, Brian Rosario, a good friend of mine, and this is a little seven-year-old. And I called Jim up in, at three in the morning. And, and uh, all of us pastors know it's never good to get calls at three in the morning. And I said, Jim, just pray for me. And he just began to pray for me, and God began to give me strength. I just felt like I was lifted up. It wasn't easy, but I needed strength to walk through that. The Lord is our strength. I never thought, I took, to, I took a two-year seminary program when I, when I was doing my master's work. 
I was going to do Christian ed because I didn't have to do Greek because I didn't think I could do Greek because I didn't think I was smart enough and I felt like God said, I want you to do Greek and I want you to do your Masters of Divinity. I'm like, okay, God, you've got to make me smart. <laughs> and he did. He, he, he let me learn Greek and I was able to read the whole New Testament. I could still read a lot of it in Greek. Some of you are here this morning and you're feeling like, well, I'm just not qualified. I'm, I'm, not, I'm afraid. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. Well, those are, those are perfect qualifications for a job, you know. That's, that's who God is looking for. God is looking for a few good women and men who are imperfect. And there are some of you that God's been calling that you've been kind of discounting because you feel like, well, I'm, I'm just not. I'm not good enough, or I'm a woman, or I'm a man, or I'm old, or I'm young, or I'm messed up. If you wait to start doing something in the kingdom until you're not messed up, you're going to be dead before you do anything. Seriously. Who are we fighting? So the first thing is... is um, is the, 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 the strength for the fight. The second one, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, principalities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so we're fighting this spiritual battle that we don't always see. Now it manifests itself often in real... And this isn't... Say, by the way, this isn't saying that there's not physical problems. My hip is a physical problem. There may be a spiritual element to it, but there's, people go over on the deep end on this all the time. They either go like, everything's a demon, you know, like, oh, that's, a, that's a demonic, or that's demonic. It's like, no, I think I've got a torn labrum. Now, could there be a spiritual element to it? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that everything is. Does that make sense? We're physical, emotional, social and spiritual beings. And Satan and, the, and evil are part of that whole picture. When somebody struggles with depression, it can be a physical problem, right? And sometimes you need medication for it. And Christians sometimes are terrible about being willing to take medication for psychiatric or psychological problems. They're like, no, God's just going to wave his hand over me and I'll be all better. I was that way for a long time. And then until God came to me and said, this is what I want you to do to get better. And it, and it was very humbling. He showed me a picture of Naaman dipping in the river seven times. And he said, I asked Naaman to do something simple and humble to get better. Are you willing to do something simple and humble? And that's a word for some of you today, maybe, that have been saying, I'm not going to take any medication to get better. I'm just going to trust in Jesus. And Jesus is going, I want you to take the medication to get better. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's psychological. Sometimes it's because we've got stuff that we haven't dealt with in life. Sometimes there's stuff that we need to talk to somebody about. A hurt. Maybe we're abused as a child, physically or sexually. We need to deal with that. Sometimes it's systemic. You know, there's, if you talk to our African-American community, there are things as they're growing up and even today that, that were in place that, that, 
that put a kind of a ceiling, you know, they call it the glass ceiling or whatever. They put a ceiling here for them, like, not to be able to get any further. There's all kinds of, 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 you know, evil in our world. But behind a lot of those things are what Paul is talking about when he says against, it's not against flesh and blood. In other words, it's not just the people that are making those laws, and it's not just against, it's not just physical, it's not just psychological, but there are also rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now that's some pretty big stuff. We don't see that. Did you have, did, how many of you ever saw Lord of the Rings? Remember when Frodo used to put on that ring and he could see into the spiritual realm? That's kind of what Paul's talking about. Or if you ever watch Stranger Things. Anybody watch Stranger Things? Like four of us. There was this place called the Upside Down. And it's like that. And there, there is a spiritual world going on. If you could zip, unzip the world right now and look at it and see it. And I think Jesus actually saw that a little bit. Because he, the demons knew him and he knew the demons. And they were not happy. They were like, when Jesus showed up, it was like, that when, the, when the demons saw Jesus, and the demons were actually usually in people, they were like, oh crap, because they saw him, they knew him before creation. They knew him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They knew him as part of the Godhead before creation even began. And then all of a sudden, now he's got a flesh suit on, and he's down here, and they're going, Why have you, what have you come to do, destroy us? You know, they're, they're terrified. They're terrified. And they get terrified when they see Jesus in his church. And they see Jesus in his church working together. They don't like that. That's scary for them. C.S. Lewis says, when people come to church, get them to notice the, you know, their neighbor, that their neighbor maybe smells a little or doesn't sing on tune or has got weird clothes on or whatever. But don't let, don't let them realize, this is in the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, don't let them realize the power and the majesty and, and the glory that is sitting right next to them. The beautiful, powerful, awesome church of Jesus that is represented right here, that has been won by his blood, that have been redeemed, that are, that are kings and, and queens and princes in God's kingdom because of Jesus' mercy. Our society tends to deny the existence of personal evil. There's a great quote in Silence of the Lambs. I wouldn't necessarily recommend watching Silence of the Lambs. It's pretty dark. It's an amazing movie, but there's one scene in there that's really interesting where there's this officer, Clarice Starling, that's interviewing Hannibal Lecter. Who, Hannibal Lecter is this horrible serial killer who's he's a, uh, <laughs> he, he's a cannibal, Hannibal Cannibal. He, he likes, instead of being a vegetarian, he's a humanitarian, eats humans. But he's really evil. And, and she's trying to figure out what's wrong with him. And she's talking to somebody else, and he overhears it. He says, I wonder what happened to him to make him like this. And he says, nothing happened to me, Officer Starling. I happened. You can't reduce me to a set of influences. You've given up good and evil for behaviorism, Officer Starling. You've got everybody in moral dignity pants. Nothing is ever anybody's fault. Look at me, Officer Starling. Can you stand there and say I'm evil? 
Am I evil, Officer Starling? Whoa. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And again, there's two, two dangers in this whole thing. One is that we just completely disbelieve in it. And the other one is that we just get too preoccupied with it and we, att- we attribute everything to just Satan. And, and we end up in weird places where we're not willing to get medication, we're not willing to get help, we're not willing to talk to a psychologist, we're not willing to do those things. It's both and, people. It's not either or. Does that make sense? I mean, Paul, was, Paul had this amazing gift of... I mean, he prayed for dead, a dead person and they were risen from the dead, but then his very close companion, Timothy, had some major stomach ailment. And what did Paul tell him to do? Drink a little wine to help with the stomach ailment because wine was, had some purifying effects that water that they drank would often give them dysentery and stuff. Paul said, basically, take some medicine. Right? All right. How we stand. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the evil day comes, you may be able to take your stand and stand your ground. And even after you have done everything, to stand. The purpose of God in our lives and the purpose of Paul writing this is that we would be able to finish this life standing. Maybe not physically. Some of us have a physical hard time standing, but but just standing, that we would make it through. And you know what? God is able to get us through. I was so terrified when I was younger that I was not going to be able to, to make it. And I just begged God. I said, God, you know how messed up my mind is. I'm going to end up going back using. I'm going to go end up falling back into my old ways. I'm never going to make it, God. You've got to help me. And I used to beg him for that. And I began to realize over time that I was depending too much on myself and not enough on him. John Newton was writing to, he was an old Puritan, and he was writing to one of his um, young guys in his parish, and the young guy was wrestling with how bad he was. He just felt like he was so bad. And he said, you know what, it's, it's okay to think of yourself and realize that, yeah, I'm a broken, fallen person. But he said, don't let that diminish the greatness and the work of Christ on your behalf to make you a whole new person. It won't do to sit and walk around and go, I'm a terrible, awful person. I I hate myself, and I do sometimes. (laughs) I do too sometimes. But you know what we do when we do that? We we demean the work of Christ, and we, we minimize the work of Christ, that what Jesus did on the cross is enough. It is enough for all of us. It is enough for any of you who hate yourself, who think you're so bad, who think you're, you're somehow, you're not going to make it. You know what Paul says? After you've done everything, you will stand because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. When Jesus was said it was finished, when he was raised from the dead, when he enters into our life, we are made new creations and God is able to get us there. God is able to get us across the finish line. God is able to help us to um, do the things that he's called us to do. And in the midst of all that, we are called to make sure that we depend on his strength, that we depend on each other, that we depend on his forgiveness and his grace, and that we are covered with his armor. And we're going to talk about that next week.
So yeah, this is like, see the stool? I got the stool. So you know how Denise always does that like bait and switch thing? Like, oh yeah, I'm not going to tell you the end of the story unless you come back next week. And it's like, eh, eh, eh. whatever. Um, <laughs> so, well, I just want to pray for all of you because I feel like this message was for a lot, all of us. I feel like, Father, I feel like where there's some people here, I, I just feel like, I'm just going to do some prophetic stuff for a minute. Lord, I just feel like there's some people here who um, have discounted themselves, who who are so stuck in bondage. There's some demonic bondage that in their brain of, of thinking of themselves as so badly that they can't get out of that and they can't get out of their own way. And it's ruining their lives. And I want to pray and I want to encourage you to come up for prayer if that's you. I want you to get prayer if you're like sitting there beating yourself up. You wake up every day and you think you're terrible and you go to bed every day and you think you're terrible. I want to pray for some of you who, who have who've discounted that God's given you a specific words about things you're supposed to be doing and you haven't done it because you've said I'm not big enough I'm not good enough I'm too chicken I want to I want to pray for some of you who think like you're not smart enough to <laughs> to, to to take a Greek class so to speak I want to pray for you and I want to pray for some of you who've been falsely accused today who feel like you have judgments wrong judgments against you by other people and I want to pray for some of you who are just sick. And I want to pray for some of you who have fiery darts in you today. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Now I want to invite you, invite our small group leaders and some of our staff to come up. And I want to invite you to get prayer today, to share. If you're struggling, come up and share. If you need just the power and presence of God, come on up. Amen.